Welcome, and thanks for listening to the New Life Christian Ministries podcast. If you'd like more information about New Life or for more podcasts and other media, go to newlifexn.org. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this day you've given us, a day of life, a day in which we can bring glory to you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. God, today we pray that your Holy Spirit would be poured into us, that we might receive your word for us, that we might go out into the world and live as your children, as your disciples, as those who are led by the Holy Spirit. God, we pray that we might fully engage this life which you have given us to your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Good morning. morning. I'm Pastor Chris. For those of you who don't remember me, I'm the lead pastor here. The last time it's been this long between times I preached, Ronald Reagan was the president. That's the truth. I've not not gone three weeks in a row without preaching. Well, it's the fourth if I hadn't preached this week since the 1980s. Um, And so I'm very glad to be with you, but especially because we're going to introduce a series today that will be transformational if we allow God to work in our hearts, in our minds, in our bodies, our souls, and spirits, because it's called Engage. Today is Engage Your Life. Next week will be Engage Your Work. Then the next week is Engage the Spirit, that is the Holy Spirit. And then the next week is Engage the War. And the enemy is going to be the devil, of course, that week. And then engage the world. So a five-week series talking about living our lives fully engaged. And one of the things I'm realizing as I get older, and the other day one of my friends, and I don't know why he did this, but he said, when's your birthday? I said, June. He goes, and how old are you going to be? 60. I'll be 60 in my birthday next June. So that's a big one, I guess. And, and I've I already been saying I've been old for a while, but I guess when you're 60, that's starting to be the edge of old if you're not old yet. But one of the things I've realized as I get older is every second, every minute, every hour, every day, every week, every month, every year, you get to live it one time, not two, not five, one time. And when it's over, it's over. So if we waste a day, it's wasted. However we live the life, good, bad, indifferent, it's in the record book and we don't get to do it again. And so what we're going to talk about is how do we live our lives in such a way that we will indeed engage every minute Every second, every minute in a way that glorifies God. And you say, well, what's the big deal if I waste an hour? Let me tell you what's the big deal if we waste an hour. If we waste an hour a day for a year, that's 15 days. If we waste an hour a day for a decade, that's five months. I don't have very many regrets in my life, but one of the biggest regrets I have in my life is those hours I've wasted. The hours that I don't get to get back anymore. And as the decades go into the record book, I don't want to have any more time, not even a second or a minute wasted. I want to use them to glorify God. So the assumption we're going to be making during this series is that the best way to engage our lives is by participating in God's redemptive plan on the earth. Participating in God's redemptive plan on the earth. What does that mean? It sounds pretty churchy, doesn't it? Participating in God's redemptive plan on the earth. It's very simple. God created a perfect world, a perfect universe, and he put two perfect people on that world. And the two perfect people decided that perfect wasn't good enough. And so they introduced sin, brokenness, fallenness into the world. And when that happened, we needed redemption, which means we needed to be freed from slavery to sin and death. And so God came in the man Jesus Christ, and he lived a perfect life. Nobody else had ever done that before. And then he died on the cross to pay the penalty that we owed, and he redeemed us. So participating in God's redemptive plan 
is to simply receive Jesus Christ as Savior, meaning he saved us from sin and death. Lord, he's the owner of our lives. That's what we do first. And then we share that with as many people as we can during our lives. So that's what it's going to mean to engage our lives fully. Now, today we're going to look at an interaction between a man who had not engaged his life for 38 years and Jesus. This interaction is going to change this man's life, as often happened when Jesus interacted with people. And what we're going to do is we're going to see the man started with an excuse. And don't most of us start with an excuse. And we're going to find out it's even a pretty good excuse. Actually, it's a better excuse than most. But what Jesus is going to show us is that excuses won't work for him because he will engage our lives at any point, no matter what the situation, no matter what the season of our life may be. He wants to engage our lives. So let's look at the take-home point. For those of you who are new today, the take-home point is the one point that we're seeking to make today, and we hope to take it home, and we're going to think about it, pray about it, and then in, in live it out, engage it in the week ahead. So here's this week's take-home point. We must invite Jesus to engage our lives. We must invite Jesus to engage our lives. Again, that's something you'd expect a preacher to say, that we need Jesus, but it's absolutely true. If we're going to live our lives fully Engaged. If we're going to participate in Jesus or God's redemptive plan on the planet, then what we're going to need to do is fully engage Jesus and invite him to come in and be fully engaging in our lives. Now, the world has a lot of substitute ideas for how we engage our lives, doesn't it? The world says we need thrills. The world says we need romance. The world says we need to have victory at work or victory on a sporting, uh, you know, on some kind of sporting field, court, whatever. And if we do that, our lives will be fully engaged. Now, I'm not against that. God's not against that. God wants us to engage in those kind of things because a life like that at least is more interesting than, than a life like my mother used to tell my brother Ken and I were little and we were sitting around doing nothing. She'd say, don't sit there like bumps on a log. Do something. And so we would have to go out and do something. And usually that was a good idea, but, you know, being two boys, it wasn't always a good idea. We found things to engage that might not have been what we're talking about here this morning. So the world around us thinks that the best way to engage life is to find a shortcut. We need a shortcut. In fact, I would venture to say that most people that live on this planet would say if they had only the, the, the right number combination to win the mega million jackpot, everything would be good. Their life would be Solved, right? No problems. The truth of the matter is those who win those kind of jackpots, more often than not, they don't end up as winners in the long run. They end up as losers. And then there are those who think, well, you know what you need to have a really engaged life? You need to have alcohol or some other drug because we want to make our life fun or at least not as sad as it usually is. We need something to sort of pick us up. Now, the, the epidemic of addiction in this culture in particular shows us that the pain and the suffering and even the death that follow that path is not the answer. And then we do have those who say, if I just could find the right woman, if I could just find the right, the right man, and maybe not the right one, but at least a one, so I won't be lonely, then life would be fully engaged for me. And Having recently traveled halfway across the world to Cambodia, a third world country, and having spent time, invested time, I would say, with 400 orphans, people that you would expect would have no clue about what it means to engage life, right? Because they've already lost so much. They've lost their parents. They don't have really anything to speak of. And, and they, they certainly don't seem to have a future, you would think, living in, in Cambodia. 
But what we found is the exact opposite of what you would expect. That it was these little children who found out what the man in the story that we're going to read from the Gospel of John today found out. That if Jesus engages your life, you have a full life. It doesn't matter where you're from or, or what your circumstance. So we're going to talk more about the children in a little bit. But right now, let's turn to the Gospel of John, chapter 5, and to this man who had not fully engaged his life for 38 years. You can follow along with me in your Bible or your, you know, your Bible app on the phone, or it'll be up on the screen. John 5, verse 1 and 2 says this. Afterward, Jesus returned to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish holy days. Inside the city near the Sheep Gate was the pool of Bethesda with five covered porches. Now, that doesn't give us a lot of information, does it? It's interesting. John tells us it was one of the Jewish holy days. He doesn't even specify which one it was. And then he doesn't really tell us when it was. Was it in the first year of Jesus' ministry, second, third? And here's why I think John didn't tell us more detail. He didn't care. He wasn't really caring about when it was or which holiday it was. What he was concerned about is what Jesus was going to do. And we're going to find out what that is in a moment. But one of the things that's really exciting when you read John's gospel is these guys were with Jesus for three years, right? Day in, day out, they saw him do incredible things, engage people's lives every single day. And at the end of his gospel, this is what John wrote in chapter 20. He said, Jesus, or I'm sorry, the disciples saw Jesus do many other miraculous signs in addition to the ones recorded in this book. But these are written that you may continue to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing in him, you will have life by the power of his name. So that's John's way of saying everybody Jesus met had the opportunity to have their life fully engaged. And there's so many accounts of what Jesus did in people's lives. We, we didn't even have, we couldn't write it all down. In fact, in another place, John says, all the books in the world wouldn't contain it. But if you want a life fully engaged, just listen to what Jesus did. So here's the next verse. One, it says, crowds of sick people, blind, lame, or paralyzed, lay on the porches. Now, if you have a Bible like mine, it might have a little asterisk there, and it might say down and below in, in the notes, there's an additional piece of information. These people were lying there waiting for certain movement, a certain movement of the water, for an angel of the Lord came from time to time and stirred up the water. And the first person to step in after the water was stirred was healed of whatever disease he had. Don't you think that's an important detail? You know, that these people were lying around, they were blind, they were paralyzed, they were lame, they had all kinds of diseases, and every now and then an angel came along and, and stirred up the, the pool, and whenever the pool was stirred up, the first person in got healed. Now that would be a way to engage your life. I mean, if you were a blind person, suddenly you could see. If you were paralyzed, and suddenly you could walk. That would be a, a new avenue for having your life engaged. So, it says, one of the men lying there had been sick for 38 years. So he had been lying there for 38 years years. That's a long time. When Jesus saw him and knew he had been ill for a long time, he asked him, would you like to get well? I'm just saying that seems like a stupid question. Doesn't it seem like a stupid question? You've been lying there on a mat for 38 years. You haven't been able to walk. And Jesus comes up to you and says, would you like to get well? Now, I know it's not a stupid question. You know how I know it's not a stupid question? Because Jesus asked it. If Jesus asks a question, it's not a stupid question, no matter how stupid it looks. So what we'll, before we get into more of that, let's uh, see what the man says. He says, I can't, sir, the sick man said, for I have no one to put in, me into the pool when the water bubbles up. Someone else always gets there ahead of me. Now, that seems like a reasonable excuse. The guy can't walk. He has to get in the pool to get healed, but he doesn't have anybody there to help him. 
And so I don't know about you, but I have a lot of questions going on right now. In fact, somebody came out after worship the, first, the last service and, and said, why wasn't Jesus healing all these people? You know, I mean, Jesus usually walked into a crowd of people that needed to be healed. And what would he do? He'd put his hands on them, you know. He'd tell them, be well, whatever. And he didn't do that. In fact, it seems like he picked out one isolated guy and he went over and asked him, do you want to get well? And he's going to make him well. I mean, we're going to read that in the next verse here. But so why in the world this exchange? Well, because Jesus wanted to engage this man's life. I personally believe that he went around and healed everybody else. It doesn't say that. But, but that's Jesus' nature to do that kind of thing. But what he did was this. It says, Jesus told him, stand up, pick up your mat, and walk. Instantly, the man was healed. He rolled up his sleeping mat and began walking. Can you picture that? This guy, 38 years, he's been waiting to be able to get over there, and he hasn't been able to get over there to the pool whenever it gets stirred up. And now Jesus says, stand up, and he stands up. The first action this man took in 38 years was to obey Jesus. Huh, that's pretty cool. The first thing he ever did when he finally could get up was to obey Jesus, which is by standing up. And then the second thing, the second thing he did, he rolled up that mat. And I can just picture him thinking, I don't need this thing anymore. In fact, I'm guessing he didn't even go to bed for two or three days. I don't know for sure, but I'm pretty much thinking, hey, I can walk, I can do stuff. He probably had a long, I mean, 38 years is a long time to create a to-do list of what I'm going to do once I'm able to walk, right? And so he was able, finally, because of what Jesus did in his life, to experience life fully engaged. And I wish we had the rest of the story. You know, I wish we found out what the guy did after that, because this is an incredible miracle that happened in the man's life, but we don't know what happened next. Now... Here's the question I have for us this morning is, what about us? What is it that we're waiting beside the pool for Jesus to do for us? Is it a physical healing that we need, an emotional healing that we need, a spiritual healing that we need? What's keeping us from engaging our lives fully or are our lives already fully engaged? You see, this man for 38 years, he'd been making excuse after excuse after excuse, but they all boiled down to two basic excuses. The first excuse he made was, I can't engage life in my current condition because something essential is missing. And the second thing he said is, I need someone to help me, but no one will. Let's look at the first excuse. I can't live life the way it's supposed to be lived because something essential is missing. Have you ever made that excuse? I have. I've said lots of times, you know, if I just had a little bit more money, then I could... You know, and, and the thing is, I know I'm not going to win the Mega Millions lottery because I don't play. Because I know that Jesus said a long, long time ago that he is the one who's supposed to provide for our needs and also that he's supposed to be our God and that the chief rival God is going to be money. And it seems like to me that if I'm buying these tickets trying to get this quick fix, that, that the reality is I'm not trusting Jesus. So anyway, I, that's one of the reasons I don't do it. There's another reason, because you're more likely to get bitten by a shark twice than to win the Mega Millions lottery. And I mean, that's practically speaking, it's a bad retirement plan, just saying. Okay, so I don't do that, but I certainly have said, if I just had a little bit more money, then in the 15 years of New Life's history, there are so many times where I've said, if we just had more people, if we just had a building, if we just had more money, if we just had more staff, if we just had more commitment, see how easy it is to make that list of things that we need to have? Because right now I can't live my life to the fullest because there's something essential that's missing. And we live 
we live with something, a piece of information that this guy didn't have for 38 years. We know that Jesus is the solution. We already know it. We don't need to have something else that we don't already have if Jesus Christ is already the Savior and Lord of our lives. So one of the things that we saw over and over again during our time in Cambodia is how much the children are fully engaged in Jesus Christ. We saw 400 of them at one time. We saw them in there, a couple of them in different homes as we visited during the course of the two weeks we were there. But everywhere we went, the children came and they ran up to us and they hugged us and they grabbed onto our legs and they jumped into our arms and they just showed us so much love. And you're thinking, wait a minute, these are orphans. They, 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 they wanted to get love because they, they're, they're isolated. They don't, have any, you know, they don't have any parents. So they were probably just wanting somebody, anybody to hug them. But if you were there, as the eight of us who went on the trip were, you would know something. These children weren't taking love. They were giving it. <laughs> you see, they had experienced the truth that there's a God who loves them, who's their heavenly father, even though their earthly parents are gone. And they know that experience of being loved and having who they need which means they'll have what they need in their lives. And when we worshiped with them, it was such an incredible thing. It was just the, the love of God exuded out of them. It, it was, it was a, an amazing thing to see. And you would think if there was anybody who ever had a right to make an excuse to say there's something essential missing in my life, it would be these children. Because they don't have parents, and they live in a third world country. They're poor, dirt poor. But they didn't make the excuse because Jesus has made up for every bit of lack in their lives. Isn't that ironic? Here we are living in a, one of the most material blessed countries on the planet. And we have opportunities to have spiritual input into our lives, literally 24-7 if we want to, through television and radio and internet. And yet it's these little kids who showed us how amazing it is to let Jesus be the one who fully engages you so you can fully engage life. Now, the second excuse the paralyzed man made was he had nobody to help him. And that may well have been true for him. But if you're part of the New Life Church family, it isn't true for you. It isn't true that if you have a problem, there's nobody here to help you. Because there is. And the thing, I want to give you another example of something that happened in Cambodia that shows how the body of Jesus Christ is there to help and encourage each other so that we can't say we don't have anybody to help. This one took place on the last day of the trip. We were in Siem Reap, which is where Angkor Wat, it's the great Hindu temple, which isn't really that great. I mean, it's, it's pretty impressive, to be honest with you, but they're just all empty, you know, a bunch of idols with most of them, their heads are chopped off, which is not a story for another day. But anyway, we went there prayer walking, and then Pastor Matt Geppert said, would you like to go to one more children's home? Would you like to visit the children there? And of course we wanted to. We had some time, and so we went over to the children's home, and the, the group that day, there were nine of us from New Life, eight who had, already, you know, who had gone on the trip, and also Faith Toomey, who was already there because she's serving there this year, except she's home on furlough right now. And then there were four guys from New Northway's church in Dormont, and then two guys who were from a church in Washington, PA. And as soon as we got there, we all hung out with the children. They came and hugged on us, you know, and loved on us and everything. And then we were singing and doing different things. But as the time we were there continued... The guys went with the house dad. Uh, his name is Orr. Every one of these children's homes, there are 13 that are operated by Southeast Asia Prayer Center. Uh, and your mission dollars go to support them, by the way, just in case you wanted to know that. But anyway, there are 13 of these homes, and they all have a set of house parents. They're actually a husband and wife. 
Some of them have their own children, but then they take care of all the children in the home. So Or is this guy's name, and, and we were with him. The, the women stayed, and we were playing with the children, and, but Or wanted to show us the fish pond. And so we were looking at the fish pond, which I was impressed that three days before, they had caught 35 fish, 40 pounds of fish that they had for the children. It's amazing to me what good stewards they are. They use every bit of the property they can to produce food for the children because they realize, these house parents realize, they have a very precious stewardship. They are stewards of God's children. And so anyway, we're standing there and he's telling us various things and we all sort of separated out a little bit, looking, just looking around, you know. And then I had a chance to wear my second hat. I had two hats that week. I was the lead pastor of New Life and I had a group of eight, but I also am a board member of the Southeast Asia Prayer Center. So I took Orr aside. I said, Orr, is there anything that you really need right now? And I mean, that's sort of like a blank check, don't you think? Is there anything you really need right now? And without hesitation, he said, you know, the children could use dressers for their clothes. Right now, their, their clothes are stored under the bed, which means on a cement floor, or else they hang them, you know, on their bunk bed. But they're always out. They never really get put away. It would be really a good thing to have dressers. And I said, well, do you know how much that would cost? And he said, well, they're $74 each, and we need seven. So I did a little mental math and figured we needed $590. And so the guys were all standing around, and, and it, I really believed that God was telling me to engage the group, the, just the guys, and ask them to receive an offering so that we could buy some dressers for, for the, the home. And uh, so I did, and we received an offering, but there wasn't $590. There was 690 I was impressed because it was the last day of the trip. I thought all of us would be down to almost nothing. And, and, and if any of you gave anybody else on the trip some money because one of you gave me some money to just spend however, well, I was down to the however by that time. So it went to buying dressers, which was pretty cool. But anyway, um, a couple days after this event, we were in San Francisco waiting to get an uh, airplane to Denver. And I got an email. And here's what the picture in the email showed. Isn't that cool? Two days later, talk about accountability, right? I mean, we gave them the money, and two days later, there's seven dressers. That's what they said they needed. That's what they said the money would buy. Oh, by the way, the $100, you know, we, they only needed $590. What did they do with the other $100? We, we told them, the house couple, to use it for their own needs because these couples are so sacrificing of, of their of their own lives. I mean, if the children don't have enough food, then they don't eat. The, the parents don't eat. It's not the kids, you know. They really take this seriously. So we wanted to bless them. But anyway, I want to show you one more picture. This is the little guy who was in the front. Look at that. He already got his own drawer. You see, there are 35 drawers, seven, five drawer dressers. So there's 35 drawers. There's 32 kids at the school right now, or the, the home right now. So they each have their own dresser drawer. And for most of us, it would be like, well, big deal. I have five dresser drawers myself. You know, I don't, but most of us probably do. I have a little closet, uh, and it has a lot more clothes than that. But, but for him, this little guy, you know what that, that was? That was an answer to God's, you know, God living into his life, engaging his life. This right here is God saying, you matter to me, to that little guy, and to all the little guys and girls in, in that home. 32 children all have their own place to put their clothes. And one dresser drawer that size is more than big enough for their clothes, that, the amount of clothes that they have. So the point is, when we say, I don't have anyone to help, that's not true if we're part of the body of Jesus Christ. We do have people to help. 
but we need to ask. And it's interesting that Orr knew exactly what to ask for. He didn't know I was going to ask, but he was ready. And he gave a specific need, and God provided. You see, it wasn't the, whatever, seven of us guys that were there. It was God who provided that money so that their, his children's needs could be met. So that's a very wonderful example of what it is for God to meet our needs in the moment. Just like the man, you know, was lying there for 38 years, and what he had been waiting for for 38 years was a quick fix, right? For 38 years, he had been waiting for that moment when he would be able to get in the water. He didn't know how he was going to do it because, once again, when the water was stirred up, he had no way to get there. But he waited by the pool for a quick fix for 38 years, and it never came. And the thing is, those children needed a dresser, and I don't know how long they needed that dresser. Well, I do know this. The home has been open for a number of years, and they never had a dresser. So they've been waiting for years for this thing to come. And boom, all of a sudden it's there. And that's wonderful. But you know, a life like we're talking about, fully engaged, is not just a quick fix, quick fix, quick fix thing, but it's a long-term thing. It's a, it's a life that starts in a second, then goes to a minute, then goes to an hour, then a day, then a week, a month, a year, a decade, a lifetime. And that's what we are called to do. We've mentioned a number of worldly quick fixes that people think are going to make their lives fully engaged. And at best, they're rabbit trails. And at worst, they're serious roadblocks to living a life fully engaged because Jesus Christ is the only solution when it comes to that. The paralyzed man got up and walked. But what happened next? What was the next day like for him in the next week, in the next month? And you see, the problem for all of us is when we see the problem instead of Jesus, we all have problems. We all do. We're all waiting by the pool for some quick fix for something or maybe a a longer-term fix. But Jesus is always the solution. About two weeks before I left for Cambodia, I started to think about this message which means I was asking myself these questions. I'm going to ask them to you now. What quick fix are you waiting by the pool for today? Do you want to get well? Do you really want to engage your life fully? I asked myself those questions two weeks. That means a month ago I was asking myself these questions. And as I asked myself those questions a month ago, I didn't like the answers that I gave myself. Because here's what I said to myself. I'm waiting beside the, quick, the pool for a quick fix <laughs> to fix me. Because a year ago, back in October, when I went to Cambodia and that little guy said, put his hand on my belly and said, baby, remember, some of you will remember that. And I weighed 225 at the time. And I said, by January, I'm going to weigh 190. Well, by January, I weighed 199. Um, so I had gotten down to that, you know. But when I came back from Cambodia this time, I weighed 220. Huh. So what, what I'm talking about is I was doing the process. It was working well. I was day by day eating well. I was exercising. I was doing what needed to be done. And then something came up. Doesn't something always come up? And then I got off the, off the pattern. And so the 220 was a false reading. I actually only weighed 210 because 10 pounds was water weight from the airplane ride. So I weighed 210. But still, 15 pounds, I, I, I was at 199. What about you? Are you doing things, quick fix? You know, I mean, quick fixes for diet, exercise, that kind of stuff. We're all waiting for that pill, right? Take the pill, I weigh 190. Whoa. Those are just physical things. And they're important, 
but they're just physical things. The other thing that I realized a month ago is that I wasn't investing enough time alone daily with God to really have my relationship with him grow the way it ought to be growing if I'm going to have something important and valuable to say to you every time I stand up here. And if I'm going to be able to meet your needs in the name of Jesus whenever you come to me for help. And I also realized that every time I picked up my Bible, and I was reading my Bible every day because I have a version plan, I'm going to get through the whole Bible in a year by golly, right? And I'm, I'm on track. Those of you who use version, you know it says on track. I'm on track. In one year, I'm going to read through the whole Bible. So what? Right? Because this is the word of God. This is God's love letter to us. This is the, the guidance that we need to live the fully engaged life. And I was just reading it through a lot of times just to be able to, because I've read it, I've read it dozens of times. I've read this book dozens of times. And so I was just reading it fr quite frankly because it was that time of day. And, and so I realized what I needed to do was not think the Bible is going to be a quick fix if I just read it every day, but to invest in what the words say to me and how I can live those, those words in the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, I don't know what it is that you need God to do for you. I don't know what it is that you need to say yes about. But here's the thing. As I was reflecting on all that stuff, Jesus basically said to me, do you want to be well? And I said, yes. And I always get a jump start whenever I go to Cambodia and I get around those little children and I see how focused they are and how much they rely on him. And having thought about the questions a couple weeks before, that even impacted it more. So I'm really on board right now with standing up and walking, taking my mat and go and do something. And, and, and I hope and pray that this fall will be a time when if you're not doing that, you will. If you've never stood up when Jesus said, stand up. If you've never before trusted him as Savior and Lord, that this fall you'll do that first. But if you have done that, and maybe you've done it, maybe you've done it zealously for a while, but now you're, you're back at the pool and you're waiting for that quick fix because it's sort of hard to live a lifetime following Jesus Christ day by day by day by day by day by month by year by decade, Right? So I want to read something to you because this fall, this is what I hope will be happen happening. It's going to take both short-term and long-term efforts on our parts. It will take friends, and thankfully, we have a lot of friends around here. And if you don't have any friends around here yet, you can make some very quickly if you want to. Um, and most of all, it's going to take Jesus. If you've been drifting through life without him, if you've been waiting for a miracle for a while or for decades... Why not start this fall by putting him first, by calling on him to engage your life? He wants to make us well. He wants to be our Savior and Lord. He wants to give us a relationship that's powerful and permanent. And his presence will be with us always. So here's today's commitment. I will engage Jesus so he transforms my life this week. He's waiting He's asking each of us and all of us, do you want to get well? Now, if you have said yes to that question before, a thousand times or 5,000 times, or if you've never said yes and you want to say yes for the very first time right now, I'm going to ask you to do something tangible. I'm going to ask those of you who are able, if you want to say yes to Jesus for the first time or the 5,000th time, to stand up, or if you can't stand up, to raise your hand right now. 
Okay? Okay, now, a little pause, and then most of you stood up. That's what happened at all other two services so far. And this is what I know. It's a lot easier to stand up for Jesus right here than it is anywhere else. We're here to stand up for Jesus. But we're going to leave here in just a few minutes, and we're going to go out into the world. It's going to be a lot harder to stand up for Jesus at school, at work, out in the community. But we must. When he says stand up, we can obey or disobey, right? When he says stand up, then if we stand up, he promises to be with us, to engage our lives. Now, it's going to be hard. Sometimes it's going to be really hard, and we're going to screw up. We're going to, sometimes we're going to say, oh, I'm going to go just go back by the pool and wait. I'm going to lie down again. But he's going to be there too. And, and as I said, I believe Jesus went around and picked, put his hands on everybody and healed them all or told them all to stand up or get see or whatever because that's just the way Jesus is. He wants to give us the life that's truly life. He wants to engage our lives. And the only question is, will we engage our lives? Let's pray. God, I thank you so much for these folks, my brothers and sisters, those who have trusted Jesus as Savior and Lord, or those who maybe did for the very first time right now. God, I pray any in the room who just trusted Jesus for the very first time, that you would fill them up with your Holy Spirit, that you would give them the assurance that their lives are new, that the sin of their life is history, and that they can now take step by step, day by day, month by month, year by year, into the future with you right beside them, actually right inside of them by your Holy Spirit. God, for all of us who have at some point in our lives heard your command to stand up and have done it, we're standing here again today because we want to recommit our lives to that purpose. We want to be engaged with you. We want you to engage us so our lives can be fully alive. God, I pray that you'd pour your Holy Spirit into all of us right now that we might not just have this be a moment, but the moment that starts a day, a week, a month, a season, a year of glorifying you. And God, we thank you that whenever we go back by the pool, you'll be there and you'll give us that command to stand up again. In Jesus' name, amen.